Geology, geology, geology. Welcome to Mini Geology, where we put in connection geology with society at large. I am Daniel Minizini, your inquisitive geologist, volunteering for the Houston Community Station, KPFT FM, and FM and HD1. Today, we'll talk with the founder of Skype, a scientist, a non-for-profit educational organization that connects scientists with classrooms and families across the globe to allow students to meet real scientists and to see their diversity and to get the answers to the questions straight from the source. So with us today, the founder of Skype Scientist, Sarah McAnulty. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Did I pronounce well your last name? Uh, McAnulty. McAnulty. Yeah. Uh, how many times have you been interviewed? Uh, quite a few. <laughs> I don't even, a hundred maybe, uh, approximately. So let me flip the intuitive question. What okay. is the typical question you ask yourself? Um, in like in life, I guess, um, how can my actions today make the world better than when I went to bed the night before mostly? And so if, if I like kind of look at what I'm doing that day and it's not really doing anything useful, um, I change what I'm doing that day. And so, um, yeah, that's my like driving uh, mantra kind of. What is the question you would most like ask others? So uh, in terms of questions that I would ask other people, I think what I really want to know from people and what I really want people to be thinking about and focusing on is what they're doing in their lives that helps people in their communities or uh, makes people happier in their communities or just generally makes things uh, better than they are. Because um, all of us have something unique about us, things that we particularly are good at, connections that we have that other people don't, um, maybe access to a resource that other people don't have. Um, and this can be all sorts of different things. And so my thing is uh, having access to lots and lots of scientists and the ability to connect people with science. Um, but I may not be perfectly equipped to do a lot of other things. And so if we all kind of look within ourselves and find what our um, uniqueness is, then we can uh, use that to, to make the world better. Um, and if we all are kind of viewing it, viewing the world that way, then um, things won't be so bleak. So Sarah, allow me to uh, paraphrase a question that you were asked by a kid in elementary school. Sure. How do you live? How do I live? <laughs> uh, yeah, so one time this, this, uh, this, she was in second grade, she was so small and she came up to me and said, how do squid live? And it's like, that's, what a good question. Um, how, so in terms of like how squid live, they swim and they meet other squid and they make new squid. And that's what I told her, but how do I live? Ugh, normally I'm out in my community. I'm, I'm trying to make connections between people in different silos of community because really I want to like, as we have, um, as the internet's become more of a thing that is inescapable and that we all go to for social interaction, as the internet's gotten more popular, but also particularly in the last year during the pandemic, like this is the only place that we can go 
um, for social interaction if we live alone safely. And so um, we've gotten even more siloed and divided than we already were. And so I like to like really focus on bringing those silos together. And so when there's not a pandemic, I'm running events out at bars, I'm running events on train platforms and in public parks, um, anywhere that people already are. Um, during the pandemic, on the other hand, I uh, am trying to do that online, but it is so much harder um, because it's hard to physically go to a space um, if you don't know where it is. It's kind of that classic, you don't know what you don't know type situation. Um, so I, you know, during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm donating blood and fostering cats. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm running the program the best I can, um, but really looking forward to being able to leave my house. Again what are, what are you missing uh, now that you don't have the physical contact with uh, the people, the scientists on one side, the students on the other side? I like to um, get kind of spontaneous interactions in physical spaces um, because what what makes it easier when you can go physically to spaces you can enter physical places where people that may that ever kind of everybody goes to this is places like public transportation parks public spaces um you don't need to be on the right or the left or this kind of education or that kind of education to go to these places you just show up and try to have spontaneous interactions whereas on social media on the internet you kind of have to have people um, come to you and you need a critical mass of people to get eyeballs on something. So let's say I, as a squid biologist, um, I want to um, communicate science or communicate whatever in a space that people like me typically don't go to. Maybe that's a subreddit. Maybe that um, is a Facebook group it's like being an individual in those spaces is harder to like gain traction um, because of the way social media algorithms work. You need a certain number of people in the community to agree that this is something that we want our community to see, whether that be upvotes on Reddit, likes and comments on Facebook, um, retweets and likes on Twitter. Um, and so because of the way these spaces are structured, it's harder to go into spaces where you're not a member and have successful communications. Um, and so that's why I think it's easier when you can physically go to spaces instead of um, online. So uh, I'm gonna dive now into your inner personality. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay, so what is your what was your dream when you were a kid? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a squid biologist. And if the world were a better place right now, I would be a squid biologist. I um, really, really loved going um, down the creek at, near my house. I liked to be in nature. Um, all I wanted to be was was like a marine biologist working with squid because I thought that they were the coolest animals ever. And I, all I wanted to do was learn more about them and, and be working with them all the time. And up until about a year and a half ago, uh, that's what I was. I was a squid biologist. Um, and that shifted uh, a year ago after I got my PhD um, because I couldn't justify like doing what I had the most fun doing. Like squid biology is, is just so fun and so wonderful. But the the good that it put into the world wasn't enough um, compared to the good that other things would do. And so I left. 
what what are you driven by why this shift um well i'm i'm really driven by um I don't want to say empathy because that sounds so pretentious, but like, you know, I, I'm driven by the the desire to have my life make impact in some way. And so I don't need people to remember who I was. I don't need, um, you know, notoriety in any way. I just want my life to have done something positive and made changes in the way things are because so many people um, are unhappy, aren't getting what they need, are um, being lied to. Uh, that I just feel like I need to throw my full self and my full energy into um, changing that. And so that's what drives me. Do you think that, it, do, you, do you think this is a sacrifice? Because you should be at the apex of your happiness uh, because you had your dream that came true. And then as soon as it arrives, you let it go. I left it. Well, yeah, but I still have fun doing this. I mean, it's not as though I'm not happy doing science communication. Um, and I've sort of like, I, I've sort of hacked a career into place where I, um, my, my job that I do most of the time is managing a nonprofit, getting people connected with science, which is a fun job. It's not as though I don't like it. I like it a lot. Um, I just, I just don't get as much squid time as I might like. But um, I have these little side gigs here and there where I will go into the field with scientists and still um, collect squid. Um, I, some of my science communication is um, done with groups squid collecting um, out in Hawaii, uh, not during the pandemic, but when the pandemic is over and before the pandemic, I was doing that. Um, and so I'm trying to find ways to kind of find a compromise. And so I'm still um, in some way, at some point during the year, I'm uh, getting some FaceTime with squid. <laughs> and then most of my time and energy is going toward the nonprofit. Sarah, did it happen anything specific in your life that um, put you in that position to make this choice? Um, I mean, I started building Skype a Scientist in 2017. And so having the like safety of graduate school allowed me to build Skype a Scientist from a very small grassroots thing. I mean, it's still super grassroots. We're very much like a lot of people doing a little bit to make the thing work. Um, but if I didn't have a graduate advisor who believed in what I was doing and who um, let me kind of spend the amount of time I needed to building it, um, I wouldn't be able to be where I am. And so uh, allowing myself to explore what I thought was important in addition to meeting my deadlines and producing my data and, and doing the squid stuff, um, was was a real freedom that I had that allowed me to do this. I mean, um, it, it like we were not making ends meet at Skype a Scientist enough to support myself um, for years. I mean, just last year was the first year that we really could do it. And so, um, yeah, being uh, able to be safe for a while before branching out and taking that leap of faith that things would work um, was really lucky. Congratulations to you and especially to your advisor. Yeah, yeah. His name is Spencer Nyholm. He's great to work for. What have been the most important events in your life? I guess getting an internship in my 
sophomore year of college uh, to work with Cuttlefish in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. I, um, it's like, that was the first time that I was working with, with cephalopods um, full-time. And it was like, it was everything I hoped it would be and more. I just, I loved it so much. I loved caring for the animals. Um, and it just made me realize that like, I could do whatever I wanted to do um, and, and that it wasn't a uh, unrealistic pipe dream. It was possible. Um, the death of my mother at 21 was probably a big one. Um, what are you gonna do there? And that is why I started studying immunology. Um, and so, cause she had cancer and, and I didn't understand like exactly how that all happens and how your body fails. And so I took immunology, which is what led me to a PhD in squid immunology instead of um, squid ecology. Um, but like, how did that lead to where I am now? You know, like no one event, like, I don't want to say that the election of Donald Trump was an important thing in my life, but unfortunately I think it kind of was because if he was never elected, I would never have, have founded Skype a scientist. The reason I, I founded it is because after the election of Trump, scientists on social media were just in a tailspin. We're just panicking about saying like, you know, uh, kind of waking up to the realization that the world was not what they thought it was, that the circles that they resided in were not representative of, of everyone. And so um, because of that, I was like, okay, we need to take all of this energy and funnel it towards something positive instead of all, us all just screaming into the void. And so that's where Skype a Scientist came from. And now that is my career and it's totally changed um, how, you know, what I do day to day. So that's pretty important. So I guess those are the the big ones, uh, getting to first work with cephalopods, uh, my mom dying, changing my career path then, and then um, <laughs> Donald Trump. Is there any uh, um, particular thinker uh, that you met or you read uh, books that influence your life and your choices? Uh, um, I'm sure that there, that the answer should be yes. I read a lot um, and I, I like to get a lot of different perspectives and like, and um, ways of seeing the world that I like to kind of blend together because I don't think there's any one writer or thought leader that I've ever been like, yes, this is it. This is exactly the right way of seeing the world because everybody, you know, comes at the world from a different perspective. And so I, I, instead of picking one person, I kind of think you need like a cohort of people to like internalize all of their perspectives in terms of, and then like spit out your own approach. And maybe the person that you read, you don't agree with, but at least having read many, many, many perspectives of, of seeing the world, you can remember that other people feel a way that you don't feel, but if you don't read it, you won't know. And so um, taking in a lot of, of different perspectives, I think is, is been more important than any one individual perspective. And what was the most important part of your education so far? Um, maybe AP, this is gonna sound silly, but uh, in, I had a teacher in high school named Mr. Coleman. He was um, 
a, I had three classes with him in high school, which is a lot for, for one teacher to have. Um, but he was an English teacher. Um, and I wasn't involved. I was like, not going to go into literature. I was not going to, um, do anything like that, but, um, he kind of like was able to just kind of like awaken a, a reminder that things don't have to be one way or the other, that things can be blended. Like, even though you're on the science path, you don't have to completely forget about, um, and, you know, creativity and um, creative expression and, and all that. And so um, I think that my experience with him was kind of always in the back of my head as I was going through being a scientist and um, continuing to pursue the creative sides of science and, and um, expressing science communication through creative and artistic approaches um, was, I don't, I just really, really appreciated the time that I had with, with him in his classes. So this was kind of an imprinting. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. What do you doubt most? What do I doubt most? Um, that I'm the right person to talk to anybody ever. Like, like I, um, people often come to me for advice on how to become a squid biologist, how to become a science communicator. And like, I have gotten here with luck. And like, I, uh, the, the way I got here is not how I recommend that anybody get here. Like everybody has their own path. And so um, when I, when I talk to people about things, I'm like, I don't know if you should really be listening to me at all. I'm just like uh, some jabroni trying my best. I like whatever you do might work better than what I did. I I'm just here and, and doing what I can. Um, the fact that I, I doubt that I am uh, the person to go to for advice. <laughs> But you don't think that is all about luck, right? There's also some merit. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. But so many people have merit and it just doesn't work out. And so, yeah, it's a mix of trying very hard, not uh, giving up when you fail and getting lucky. What, what is your merit? Um, a lot of people think that I'm funny in the way that I communicate science. So that's uh, that some people think that. Um, and Uh, I think I'm I'm okay at finding like noticing when we're we're like all um, the same in a group um, and trying to remedy that situation. Um, I know a lot about squid, but that really like that you can anybody could do that by just reading a lot about squid. So that's not really helpful. Like everybody knows a lot about something, so that's not really a merit. Um, I think being open. Um, to experience, open to trying new things, opening, open to listening um, to lots of people um, is probably, that's it. Let's go with openness. And what illusion do you suffer from? That I'm prettier than I am? No, I don't know. Um, illusion, lots, I'm sure. Uh, maybe... I think I think that people are better than, than they maybe are. <laughs> I often, um, I think many pessimists think I'm naive in um, that, that I think that people are good at heart. Um, and I think that's an illusion that has bitten me in the ass a, a fair number of times. And I just continue thinking that people will be better. Um, 
and and a lot of people are great and so i keep thinking okay well surely the next person will be a lovely person um and i don't know despite that being an illusion i don't think i'm gonna change it because having faith in people is overall i think good um, and I think people are more likely to um, build coalitions and work together and do good stuff if we have faith in each other. I'd rather have faith in someone and have them just totally blow it than, um, than have no faith in anyone. Uh, Sarah, what are you proud of? I'm proud of the group of people that have come together to make Skype a Scientist work. We have thousands and thousands of people and I just, I'm so grateful that they join and, and come on the ship together to work with us on this. Like so many people volunteer their time to, to make it work. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud that I've built a thing that people believe in and um, continue to participate in. Um, How yeah. many scientists are involved in uh, Skype Scientist? Currently, so any given semester, we'll have about 2,500 scientists in the database. Um, and we serve, like in 2020, we served 11,600 classrooms. Um, over the last um, four years, in total, we've had about 7,000 scientists participate, um, unique scientists. And um, every, every scientist tells us how many classrooms they want to communicate with that semester. And that ranges between one and five classrooms. And so that's how we can rack up those classrooms. So, um, yeah. What is the, the, the typical scientist that is collaborating uh, with you? So um, it's a lot of graduate students because graduate students have a lot of freedom in what they, I mean, not all of them, of course, but many of them have a lot of freedom in, um, in what they do with their time. And they're not um, as bogged down as many professors are, um, but it's a lot of graduate students, postdocs, and, and a fair number of professors, um, maybe like 30% professors, um, 20% postdocs, and everybody else is a graduate student or a technician or something like that. Um, they're mostly people who care about science communication. Um, we have a wide range of experiences in science communication. Some of them have been doing it for years and have their own programs and, and run events on their own. Others, this is the first time they've ever done science communication. It's the first time they've ever spoken with anybody outside of um, their roles as teachers. And so um, it's, a, it's a mixed bag for sure. Where, where are, um do we have geographically these centers of excellence of science communication? Um, in terms of like where are our um, scientists from in the program or like who is killing it at science communication the most? Yeah, like you have the pulse on the situation, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, if somebody asks you, well, where should I go to study science communication? Where, where are those places? Where Ooh. are those universities or countries? Uh, that's a great, great question. Australia is doing a lot of good things that I see a lot, um, but I don't know of like this program is where you should go to study because I didn't study science communication. I studied science and I learned it along the way. But in the last couple of years, there's been a shift to formalizing science communication and studying it um, as uh, as a PhD program, as a master's program. Um, and I and I don't have any suggestions on where to go uh, because I didn't go through that and I I don't really it's all so new like I don't know but um, 
generally speaking, uh, San Francisco has a good science communication scene. The, the California, California Academy of Sciences, Cal Academy is amazing. They do amazing work. The um, Monterey Bay Aquarium also does amazing, amazing work in science communication. Um, so lots of good stuff happening in California. Um, New York is also a huge hub along with Boston. Um, I am really rooting for Philadelphia to get it together because I'm here and my buddy might join uh, my move here soon. And so, and there's lots of really cool people doing a lot of things. We just kind of need to all bring it together and write like two weeks before the world shut down we all got together at a bar and like 35 people showed up and we all met each other and we all got together and so i have like high hopes that once the pandemic uh is over uh which i know we're not supposed to say because it's never just gonna like be like and today is the day the pandemic was over but when it's safe to go out to bars again i know that this is going to be a hot spot great uh, how are we doing here in texas um I was in Texas and gave a talk on science communication at Texas A&M and um, at Trinity. Uh, but what a good question. I don't know of any major like players. Although at Rice University, there's a new professor there um, named uh, Corey Evans, who is amazing, who's great on Twitter. If you haven't met up with him, you should. He's a fish biologist who studies um, like the evolution of this fish skulls. And he's so rad. So um, he's worth checking out. Do you have uh, among the scientists, um, any scientists working for industry? For sure, lots, lots. So um, Skype Scientist is run by me. And then um, David Jenkins, he is uh, he works at AstraZeneca. Um, so his full time is, is in industry, but he runs our algorithm and um, he runs our matching program and does all of the database management. So he is super important to the success of our program. Um, and he's an in industry. Um, we also have lots and lots of industry scientists in our database. We have a formal partnership with uh, Millipore and Illumina. Um, so yeah, we are, it's not just academia over here. Say I'd like to talk with the geologist from a university in France. Okay. Or, or a mathematician working for Google. Mm -hmm. Can I search? in your uh, website, uh, this specificity or not? Here's the level of specificity that you can do. So we have a scientist search tool and let's say you wanna talk about bees. You can type in the word bees, everybody who studies bees will show up. You don't get to see um, the, the university or institution that they're associated with because I want everybody to talk to everybody and I don't want like science brand names to be, um, to cloud your judgment on whether they'll be awesome or not. And so that's why it's not public. But I mean, once you get the match, you know where they're from. You can also choose the language that um, you want to have your session in. So if you have a classroom that speaks mostly Spanish or French or whatever, you can um, sign up for that. So tell us more then about the algorithm that matches scientists with classrooms automatically. What is the uh, concept behind um, it? 
Yeah, so we match based on all sorts of things. Like there are 30 categories of scientists that folks can choose between. They can request a woman scientist. They can request um, if over half of their classroom is from a given historically excluded group in STEM, we can, um, you can tell us that and then we will preferentially match that class or group with a scientist from that same group. Um, we also, you have the option of doing um, the broad categories or the broad categories and specifically request a scientist by name. Um, we also do some boring stuff like matching based on time zones and time availabilities. All the data comes in um, throughout the week. And then on Thursday night, Friday morning-ish, uh, we run the matching algorithm. It spits out a bunch of matches and then we email everybody with their match. So, so since I know that you are very interested in diversity, how do you show in the, the organization that you're running this uh, diversity, let's say diversity by ethnicity or gender, or sexual orientation, religion, or even uh, scientists with disabilities? Mm -hmm. how, how do you do that? How do we know that we want to participate, that they exist? Right, so there's a couple ways that we do this. One, um, we have our Instagram page where we feature three scientists a day. We make sure that we are um, including all representations of scientists, including certainly um, LGBTQIA folks, all sorts of racial and ethnic diversity um, and, and disability as well. Scientists tell us if uh, they have a disability. Often those disabilities are kind of invisible, um, but they'll tell us anyway. Um, we have had classrooms sign up that say, I really want to speak to a scientist who has autism because our whole our whole school um, is students with autism. And so we've been able to make that happen. Um, and then we also have our Skype a Scientist live series. So this is a series of uh, live streams where I will talk with a scientist with an ASL interpreter present to do American Sign Language for folks um, for whom that's useful. Um, and so in those sessions, all of the questions come in from the audience. I'm just verbally asking the questions out loud to the scientist. Um, and those sessions have uh, we make sure to include, again, all representations of science. Um, in June, we, uh, in 2020, we did a Pride Month. We did a Pride Week in 2019. We're going to do uh, one of those again in 2021 for sure in June, where we have all uh, LGBTQIA scientists. Um, yeah, so it's just like, it's not, it's something that we just do um, as part of, of like the program. Like, I think, um, we make sure that it's kind of baked into the um, very core of how we run what we do. And um, it is clearly written in your website of uh, Skype uh, Scientist uh, that you work with schools, uh, with groups, mm -hmm. with families. Mm -hmm. Have you mm -hmm. ever thought about working with uh, correction facilities or prisons? Yes, we have. And we are looking to expand there. Um, when scientists sign up, they can also opt in or out of, of uh, working with correctional facilities. And on the sign up form, uh, those folks can indicate that that is who their group is. So yes, we already have the structure in place to accommodate those folks. We haven't had a huge um, sign up from them yet because I haven't had the bandwidth to figure out who best to kind of reach and talk to. Um, but it is something that we really, really want to do more of. 
So Sarah, most of the inmates, they do not have internet access. How do you right. plan to do that? So I've heard through the grapevine that there are educational programs at correctional facilities. And so I would, I, I would imagine that we'd have to talk to whoever runs those programs because right, individually, they can't sign up. By the way, if you really would like to uh, reach the general population in the prisons of Texas, you are very welcome to come to the prison show and, um, and have a voice and to talk directly to the inmates and the families and friends of the inmates to great. launch this idea. That would be great. Yeah, we should talk more about that. Yes. Um, so all of this that you describe, free. Free. So scientists are not paid? No. The School? only people who are paid are me <laughs> and Jenkins, who runs the algorithm, and Emily, who uh, helps us with like taxes and making sure that we're legal and helps us with uh, other nonprofit kind of things. Everybody oh. else is unpaid. All right. So you're making a living of uh, the organization. Yes. Since when? Uh, since, since August of 2019. How does this it work? This is my full-time job. So we're funded through like so many little pots <laughs> to like make a patchwork to make it function. So um, we're financially supported by Illumina, Millipore, um, and we have a suggested donation from classrooms and scientists. Like if you can pitch in 10 bucks, please do, but it doesn't affect the matching at all. Um, and so between that and also Patreon, we have people who support our program on Patreon and that is super helpful. We also run trivia nights um, every Thursday night and those and folks who show up to trivia, it's five bucks a person. So that supports us. Um, and we're, I just submitted an NSF grant uh, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Um, so so right now is mainly private citizens or private uh, institutions. Exactly. Yes. In your webpage, you show that you are funded by the Kavli Foundation that is based oh, yeah. in, in LA. Yep. We got um, some, some money from Kavli to do uh, specifically a project where um, we're trying to build a community of practice around science communication in collaboration with uh, Rockefeller University, uh, Rock EDU, and um, Science Friday, and BioBus, and a number of other uh, science communication organizations and nonprofits. You also show that you have 1,008 patrons donating mm -hmm. uh, maybe a few dollars per month. Exactly. What is the balance between these uh, private uh, single donors and uh, institutions? Roughly speaking, it's like 20%, 80%, 50-50? I think 50-50 would be the most accurate. Let's think. Yeah. Yeah. About half from Patreon. Oh, we lost you. <laughs> Sorry, my cat was attacking a toy. <laughs> kind of. What is the question you would most like ask others? So uh, in terms of questions that I would ask other people, I think what I really want to know from people and what I really want people to be thinking about and focusing on is what they're doing in their lives that helps people in their communities or uh, makes people happier in their communities or just generally makes things uh, better than they are. Because um, 
all of us have something unique about us, things that we particularly are good at, connections that we have that other people don't, um, maybe access to a resource that other people don't have. Um, and this can be all sorts of different things. And so my thing is uh, having access to lots and lots of scientists and the ability to connect people with science. Um, but I may not be perfectly equipped to do a lot of other things. And so if we all kind of look within ourselves and find what our um, uniqueness is, then we can uh, use that to, to make the world better. Um, and if we all are kind of viewing it, viewing the world that way, then um, things won't be so bleak. So Sarah, allow me to uh, paraphrase a question that you were asked by a kid in elementary school. Sure. How do you live? How do I live? Uh, yeah, so one time this, this, uh, this, she was in second grade, she was so small, and she came up to me and said, how does squid live? And it's like, that's, what a good question. Um, how, so in terms of like how squid live, they swim and they meet other squid and they make new squid. And that's what I told her. But how do I live? Ugh, normally I'm out in my community. I'm, I'm trying to make connections between people in different silos of community because really I want to like, as we have, um, as the internet's become more of a thing that is inescapable and that we all go to for social interaction, as the internet's gotten more popular, but also particularly in the last year during the pandemic, like this is the only place that we can go um, for social interaction if we live alone safely. And so um, we've gotten even more siloed and divided than we already were. And so I like to like really focus on bringing those silos together. And so when there's not a pandemic, I'm running events out at bars, I'm running events on train platforms and in public parks, um, anywhere that people already are. Um, during the pandemic, on the other hand, I uh, am trying to do that online, but it is so much harder um, because it's hard to physically go to a space um, if you don't know where it is. It's kind of that classic, you don't know what you don't know type situation. Um, so I, you know, during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm donating blood and fostering cats. Like, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm running the program the best I can, um, but really looking forward to being able to leave my house again. What are, what are you missing uh, now that you don't have the physical contact with uh, the people, the scientists on one side, the students on the other side? I like to, um, get kind of spontaneous interactions in physical spaces um, because what, what makes it easier when you can go physically to spaces, you can enter physical places where people that may, that every kind of everybody goes to, this is places like public transportation, parks, public spaces. Um, you don't need to be on the right or the left or this kind of education or that kind of education to go to these places. You just show up and try to have spontaneous interactions. Whereas on social media, on the internet, you kind of have to have people um, come to you and you need a critical mass of people to get eyeballs on something. So let's say I, as a squid biologist, um, I want to um, communicate science or communicate whatever in a space that people like me typically don't go to. Maybe that's a subreddit. Maybe that um, is a Facebook group. It's like being an individual in those spaces is harder to like gain 
traction um, because of the way social media algorithms work. You need a certain number of people in the community to agree that this is something that we want our community to see, whether that be upvotes on Reddit, likes and comments on Facebook, um, retweets and likes on Twitter. Um, and so because of the way these spaces are structured, it's harder to go into spaces where you're not a member and have successful communications. Um, and so that's why I think it's easier when you can physically go to spaces instead of um, online. So uh, I'm gonna dive now into your inner personality. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay, so what is your, what was your dream when you were a kid? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a squid biologist. And if the world were a better place right now, I would be a squid biologist. I um, really, really loved going um, down the creek at, near my house. I liked to be in nature. Um, all I wanted to be was, was like a marine biologist working with squid because I thought that they were the coolest animals ever. And I, all I wanted to do was learn more about them and, and be working with them all the time. And up until about a year and a half ago, uh, that's what I was. I was a squid biologist. Um, and that shifted uh, a year ago after I got my PhD um, because I couldn't justify like doing what I had the most fun doing. Like squid biology is, is just so fun and so wonderful. But the the good that it put into the world wasn't enough um, compared to the good that other things would do. And so I left. What, what are you driven by? Why this shift? Um, well, I'm, I'm really driven by, um, I don't wanna say empathy because that sounds so pretentious, but like, you know, I, I'm driven by the, the desire to have my life make impact in some way. And so I don't need people to remember who I was. I don't need, um, you know, notoriety in any way. I just want my life to have done something positive and made changes in the way things are because so many people um, are unhappy, aren't getting what they need, are um, being lied to, uh, that I just feel like I need to throw my full self and my full energy into um, changing that. And so that's what drives me. Do you think that, do you, do you think this is a sacrifice? Because you should be at the apex of your happiness uh, because you had your dream that came true. And then as soon as it arrives, you let it go. I left it. Well, yeah, but I still have fun doing this. I mean, it's not as though I'm not happy doing science communication. Um, and I've sort of like, I, I've, sort of hacked a career into place where I, um, my, my job that I do most of the time is managing a nonprofit, getting people connected with science, which is a fun job. It's not as though I don't like it. I like it a lot. Um, I just, I just don't get as much squid time as I might like, but um, I have these little side gigs here and there where I will go into the field with scientists and still um, collect squid. Um, I, some of my science communication is um, done with groups 
squid collecting um, out in Hawaii, uh, not during the pandemic, but when the pandemic is over and before the pandemic, I was doing that. Um, and so I'm trying to find ways to kind of find a compromise. And so I'm still um, in some way, at some point during the year, I'm uh, getting some FaceTime with squid. <laughs> and then most of my time and energy is going toward the nonprofit. Sarah, did it happen anything specific in your life that um, put you in that position to make this choice? Um, I mean, I started building Skype a Scientist in 2017. And so having the like safety of graduate school allowed me to build Skype a Scientist from a very small grassroots thing. I mean, it's still super grassroots. We're very much like a lot of people doing a little bit to make the thing work. Um, but if I didn't have a graduate advisor who believed in what I was doing and who um, let me kind of spend the amount of time I needed to building it, um, I wouldn't be able to be where I am. And so uh, allowing myself to explore what I thought was important in addition to meeting my deadlines and producing my data and, and doing the squid stuff um, was, was a real freedom that I had that allowed me to do this. I mean, um, it, it, like we were not making ends meet at Skype a scientist enough to support myself, um, for years. I mean, just last year was the first year that we really could do it. And so, um, yeah, being, uh, able to be safe for a while before branching out and taking that leap of faith that things would work, um, was really lucky. Congratulations to you and especially to your advisor. Yeah, yeah. His name is Spencer Nyholm. He's great to work for. What have been the most important events in your life? I guess getting an internship in my sophomore year of college uh, to work with Cuttlefish in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. I, um, it's like, that was the first time that I was working with, with cephalopods um, full-time and it was like it was everything I hoped it would be and more I just I loved it so much I loved caring for the animals um and it just made me realize that like I could do whatever I wanted to do um and and that it wasn't a uh unrealistic pipe dream it was possible um the death of my mother at 21 was probably a big one um what are you gonna do there and that is why I started studying immunology um, and so, cause she had cancer and, and I didn't understand like exactly how that all happens and how your body fails. And so I took immunology, which is what led me to a PhD in squid immunology instead of, um, squid ecology. Um, but like, how did that lead to where I am now? You know, like no one event, like, I don't want to say that the election of Donald Trump was an important thing in my life, but unfortunately I think it kind of was because if he was never elected, I would never have have founded Skype a Scientist. The reason I, I founded it is because after the election of Trump, scientists on social media were just in a tailspin. We're just panicking about saying like, you know, uh, kind of waking up to the realization that the world was not what they thought it was, that the circles that they resided in were not representative of, of everyone. And so um, because of that, I was like, okay, we need to take all of this energy and funnel it towards something positive instead of all, us all just screaming into the void. And so that's where Skype a Scientist came from. And now that is my career and it's totally changed 
um, how, you know, what I do day to day. So that's pretty important. So I guess those are the, the big ones, uh, getting to first work with cephalopods, uh, my mom dying, changing my career path then, and then, um, <laughs> Donald Trump. Is there any, um, particular thinker, uh, that you met or you read, uh, books that influence your life and your choices? Uh, um, I'm sure that there, that the answer should be yes. I read a lot. Um, and I, I like to get a lot of different perspectives and like, and, um, ways of seeing the world that I like to kind of blend together because I don't think there's any one writer or thought leader that I've ever been like, yes, this is it. This is exactly the right way of seeing the world because everybody, you know, comes at the world from a different perspective. And so I, I, instead of picking one person, I kind of think you need like a cohort of people to like internalize all of their perspectives in terms of, and then like spit out your own approach. And maybe the person that you read, you don't agree with, but at least having read many, many, many perspectives of, of seeing the world, you can remember that other people feel a way that you don't feel, but if you don't read it, you won't know. And so um, taking in a lot of, of different perspectives, I think is, is been more important than any one individual perspective. And what was the most important part of your education so far? Um, maybe AP, this is gonna sound silly, but uh, in I had a, a teacher in high school named Mr. Coleman. He was um, a, I had three classes with him in high school, which is a lot for, for one teacher to have, um, but he was an English teacher um, and I wasn't involved. I was like, not gonna go into literature. I was not gonna um, do anything like that, but um, he kind of like, was able to just kind of like awaken a, a reminder that things don't have to be one way or the other, that things can be blended. Like even though you're on the science path, you don't have to completely forget about, um, and, you know, creativity and um, creative expression and, and all that. And so um, I think that my experience with him was kind of always in the back of my head as I was going through being a scientist and um, continuing to pursue the creative sides of science and, and um, expressing science communication through creative and artistic approaches um, was, I don't, I just really, really appreciated the time that I had with, with him in his classes. So this was kind of an imprinting. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. What do you doubt most? What do I doubt most? Um, that I'm the right person to talk to anybody ever. Like, like I, um, people often come to me for advice on how to become a squid biologist, how to become a science communicator. And like, I have gotten here with luck. And like, I, uh, the, the way I got here is not how I recommend that anybody get here. Like everybody has their own path. And so, um, when I, when I talk to people about things, I'm like, I don't know if you should really be listening to me at all. I'm just like 
uh, some jabroni trying my best. I like whatever you do might work better than what I did. I, I'm just here and and doing what I can. Um, the fact that I, I doubt that I am uh, the person to go to for advice. <laughs> but you don't think that is all about luck, right? There's also some merit. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. But so many people have merit and it just doesn't work out. And so, yeah, it's a mix of trying very hard, not uh, giving up when you fail and getting lucky. What, what is your merit? Um, a lot of people think that I'm funny in the way that I communicate science. So that's uh, that some people think that. Um, and Uh, I think I'm I'm okay at finding like noticing when we're we're like all um, the same in a group um, and trying to remedy that situation. Um, I know a lot about squid, but that really like that you can anybody could do that by just reading a lot about squid. So that's not really helpful. Like everybody knows a lot about something, so that's not really a merit. Um, I think being open. Um, to experience, open to trying new things, opening, open to listening um, to lots of people um, is probably, that's it. Let's go with openness. And what illusion do you suffer from? That I'm prettier than I am? No, I don't know. Um, illusion, lots, I'm sure. Um, maybe... I think I think that people are better than, than they maybe are. <laughs> I often, um, I think many pessimists think I'm naive in um, that, that I think that people are good at heart. Um, and I think that's an illusion that has bitten me in the ass a, a fair number of times. And I just continue thinking that people will be better. Um, and, and a lot of people are great. And so I keep thinking, okay, well, surely, The next person will be a lovely person. Um, and I don't know, despite that being an illusion, I don't think I'm going to change it because having faith in people is overall, I think, good. Um, and I think people are more likely to um, build coalitions and work together and do good stuff if we have faith in each other. I'd rather have faith in someone and have them just totally blow it than... Um, then have no faith in anyone. Uh, Sarah, what are you proud of? I'm proud of the group of people that have come together to make Skype a Scientist work. We have thousands and thousands of people. And I just am so grateful that they join and, and come on the ship together to work with us on this. Like so many people volunteer their time to, to make it work. Um, and so I'm, I'm, proud that I've built a thing that people believe in and um, continue to participate in. Um, How yeah. many scientists are involved in uh, Skype Scientist? Currently, so any given semester, we'll have about 2,500 scientists in the database. Um, and we serve, like in 2020, we served 11,600 classrooms. Um, over the last um, four years. In total, we've had about 7,000 scientists participate, um, unique scientists. And um, every every scientist tells us how many classrooms they want to communicate with that semester. And that ranges between one and five classrooms. And so that's how we can rack up those classrooms. So um, yeah, 
What is the, the, the typical scientist that is collaborating uh, with you? So um, it's a lot of graduate students because graduate students have a lot of freedom in what they, I mean, not all of them, of course, but many of them have a lot of freedom in, um, in what they do with their time and they're not um, as bogged down as many professors are. Um, but it's a lot of graduate students, postdocs, and, and a fair number of professors, um, maybe like 30% professors, um, 20% postdocs and everybody else is a graduate student or a technician or something like that. Um, they're mostly people who care about science communication. Um, we have a wide range of experiences in science communication. Some of them have been doing it for years and have their own programs and, and run events on their own. Others, this is the first time they've ever done science communication. It's the first time they've ever spoken with anybody outside of um, their roles as teachers. And so, um, it's a it's a mixed bag for sure. Where where um, do we have geographically these centers of excellence of science communication? Um, in terms of like where are our um, scientists from in the program, or like who is killing it at science communication the most? Yeah, like you have the pulse on the situation, right? Mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. If somebody asks you, well, where should I go to study science communication? Where, where are those places? Where Ooh. are those universities or countries? Uh, That's a great, great question. Australia is doing a lot of good things that I see a lot. Um, but I don't know of like this program is where you should go to study because I didn't study science communication. I studied science and I learned it along the way. But in the last couple of years, there's been a shift to formalizing science communication and studying it um, as uh, as a PhD program, as a master's program. Um, and I and I don't have any suggestions on where to go uh, because I didn't go through that. And I, I don't really it's all so new, like, I don't know, but um, Generally speaking, uh, San Francisco has a good science communication scene. The, the California, California Academy of Sciences, Cal Academy is amazing. They do amazing work. The um, Monterey Bay Aquarium also does amazing, amazing work in science communication. Um, so lots of good stuff happening in California. Um, New York is also a huge hub along with Boston. Um, I am really rooting for Philadelphia to get it together because I'm here and my buddy might join, uh, might move here soon. And so, and there's lots of really cool people doing a lot of things. That is all for today. Thanks for listening to the Mini Geology Radio Show, your weekly radio show about geology here in Houston. This is Daniel Minizini, your inquisitive geologist. Write me at minigeology at gmail.com, tweet at minigeology, and send your ideas. Let me know who interview next, which kind of topics you would like to develop together in the Houston Community Station here at KPFT. And see you next week on Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Bye.